Hello, and welcome to another edition of Problematic Women, a show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of so-called feminists. For those who are new to our show, just joining us, allow us to take a moment to explain where the idea for the theme of the show came from. So the question is, what is a problematic woman? Well, let me answer that. She's usually a strong-minded Republican or conservative who liberal feminists often look down upon and refuse to engage in civil debate with. Rather, they view problematic women quite simply as problems in society that need to be fixed. They usually view this as a negative thing, but we over here think being a problematic woman is a good thing. Women should be proud of it and own it. So welcome to our show. My name is Kelsey Harkness. I am a senior news producer with The Daily Signal and contributor over at The Federalist. And I'm Bree Payton, staff writer at The Federalist and friend of The Daily Signal. And today we have a lot of things that we want to talk about. A lot of good things. A lot of good things. So let's just get right into Actually. it. Actually. What? Not so good things, but let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good things in the sense that there's a lot of things that we can talk about. Uh, all right, so let's just get right into it. Our first segment, we like to talk about things that happened in the news media, and our segment is called That Happened. So item number one, I got into a Twitter fight with Joy Reid over at MSNBC. Uh, I wrote a piece compiling all of the unhinged and crazy reactions to uh, Republicans, particularly Paul Ryan, calling for people to offer thoughts and prayers to the victims of the deadly church massacre in Texas that unfolded this uh, Sunday in which at least 26 people were killed and another, I think, 26 people were also injured, including children and an unborn baby and a pregnant mom. And it was just so horrible. So Paul Ryan told his constituents to offer their thoughts and their prayers to the victims of this deadly and very tragic event. And people came at him swinging and were like, how dare you say that we should offer our thoughts and prayers? They were sitting in a church. Uh, Yeah. So I tweeted that growing up, my parents um, used to read aloud to us from Fox's Book of Martyrs during devotions as kind of like, okay, listen, historically, if you're a Christian... Things are harder for you. And Jesus himself, in his word, promises that the world is going to hate you and spurn you because they hate him. And those who follow him, they're also going to hate. So this is a very normal thing uh, for parents to tell their kids and to talk about. So I was tweeting about this and um, I tweeted a joke along the lines of, oh, you know, if I can endure Joy Reid's blasphemous description of who Jesus was and his life because she insisted that he never prayed. He only acted. um, And that prayer was not at all a thing that he did ever. And I was tweeting about how that was blasphemous. And she was coming at me and said this. She said, what did I say that was incorrect or blasphemous? I'll wait. I presume you think Jesus favored the rich over the poor per your ideology. And then while I was sitting there confused, she followed it up with, so done with fanatics like you. You don't know the first thing about the gospel. I grew up in the church, hon. You can't lecture me. Hun. Hun, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. That's not great. Not great, right? Okay. Coming from someone who supposedly wants to empower women, Who's she's demeaning them. supposed to be woke. Them. Like, if you're woke, you're not supposed to use the word hun yeah. to other women. Like, you're not supposed to do it. Anyway, sin number one. Sin number two, she's acting like a total Pharisee in this tweet, right? Coming at me being like, you can't lecture me about the gospel. I grew up in the church. Like, I'm so much better than you. That's literally what Jesus said. No, like, 
man looks at the outward external actions and the way that a man looks on the outside, but I cut through that and see one's heart, right? So she is violating rule number one, which is, well, not rule number one, because rule number one is love thy neighbor as thyself. Rule number two is don't be a Pharisee. So she's like breaking rule number two already. Um, And then also, I don't know where she gets so done with fanatics like you from, the fact that I was calling her out for being blasphemous and saying things that are clearly not true because at every step of Jesus's ministry here on earth, he prays like at every before every miracle at every turn in his ministry and calling someone out for that and saying, you know, this is factually incorrect in what you are saying. That's not I don't know. That's not fanatical. So that was just a very interesting Twitter exchange that I had this week. Did you get blocked? Oh, you know what? I don't know. I'm logged in under the it's Federalist. Of, it's a badge of honor to I get blocked. I don't think she blocked me. No, I don't <laughs> think she blocked me, which I, I don't block people generally um, on Twitter. I have like four people blocked, and it's only because they tweeted really inappropriate things at me. But yeah. Well, speaking of ridiculous reactions to the tragic shooting in Texas on Sunday, uh, this is this was reported by the Free Beacon, an MS, MSNBC reporter on Tuesday, while giving a live report on the victims, referred to one of the victims who lost four children. Uh, three of them were born. One of them she was eight months pregnant with, and she was killed. And so when she died, her baby inside of her died. And so this reporter was a female. She was going live on NBC, MSNBC, was referring um, to this woman and to her unborn baby as a child. And then in the middle of it, corrects herself and says, uh, or a fetus, if you will. We have a clip of this. Let's play it for you. Crystal Holcomb, she was pregnant. She died inside this church behind me. And not only her and her unborn child, but three of her children. And today, during this press conference, we learned that her unborn child is included in that count of 26 dead here at the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. So news out of that press conference is 25 and an unborn child or a, or a fetus, if you will. Uh, so again, if you if you just take the I just have to say, MSNBC, I, I will not take that as a fetus. That is an unborn child. This mother was eight months pregnant, clearly wanted that child, clearly was a very loving mom. I think it is a disgrace that they said that on national TV. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's reflective of, you know, they're trying to pander to their audience who they think would rather hear an eight-month-old child referred to as a fetus instead of an unborn child. Well, it shows the hole that they dig themselves in when they try to force everybody to refer to unborn babies as fetuses, um, because in situations like this, there's really no question that was a child. And, you know, that child sadly maybe had a chance to make it at eight eight months. It's heartbreaking to think it didn't. Um, But our prayers, our thoughts and prayers really do go out two families like that and all those impacted. And it's fine to say that. It's fine to say Thank thoughts you. and prayers. <laughs> and it's good to pray for people who have just experienced a terrible tragedy and a terrible loss. Speaking of terrible losses in Planned Parenthood, <laughs> the Kardashians recently visited Planned Parenthood and Planned Parenthood rolled out the red carpet for them during their show. And they filmed an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And part of it was at Planned Parenthood. Tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, so I wrote about this on The Federalist. I wish there were a way to figure out if Planned Parenthood paid keeping up with the Kardashians a huge bucket of money because this was the flashiest commercial the uh, the abortion provider has ever received. So during... Uh, Two weeks ago, an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, the sisters decided to go visit Planned Parenthood and figure out uh, figure out what it's what what all these protests are that are going on. So obviously, they go to Planned Parenthood and they speak with some of Planned Parenthood's most sympathetic victims. Um, one of those are one of those was a, a, a young girl who found out she was HIV positive at Planned Parenthood. Another one was one of those rare women who actually went to Planned Parenthood and decided to keep her baby. So obviously. Obviously, that's a very positive, uplifting story there that you don't often hear coming out of Planned Parenthood. But obviously, not once uh, did did they speak with abortion provi- uh, or women who actually got abortions at Planned Parenthood. And given the fact that Planned Parenthood is the nation's largest abortion provider, I just thought it was extremely uh, immoral, actually, for them to enter this national debate over Planned Parenthood and ignore and glaze over the actual reasons that Planned Parenthood is being protested. Because I'll tell you right now, Planned Parenthood is not being protested because they provide services to HIV positive patients. Right. That's that's a great thing that they do, but that's not what's controversial and, about and, Planned and it Parenthood. It wouldn't have been difficult for them to find a woman who had an abortion either, because I mean they do three hundred thousand every year, right? Exactly. So it's like it's not like there's a shortage of women who have had abortions who can tell you about their experiences, and very often women who have had an abortion at Planned Parenthood suffer complications later um, and talk about it, or you know a lot of times their facilities are not up to par because people don't care. And that's sad and unfortunate. So walking out of Planned Parenthood, Khloe Kardashian said, I'm a big fan of Planned Parenthood now. Meeting the girls and hearing their stories and seeing how many women have been helped by some of the services they have to offer. I think people need to be more educated in how they form opinions. And that is what I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to do. How ironic that she says, I think people need to be more educated in how they form opinions when she is the one going on national TV, not educating people about what the real debate is about Planned Parenthood. If you want to go on national TV and have a debate about Planned Parenthood, let's talk about abortions. Go watch an abortion and go air that abortion on live TV. But as I said in my piece in The Federalist, that would be far too real for any reality show. Yeah. You're completely right. Yeah. (laughs) And make sure towards the end of our show, we're going to take questions from y'all. So make sure that you ask us questions there in the comment section and chime in and tell us what you think about the show. But before that, we have a video that we would like to have y'all listen to, to have y'all watch. For those of you listening into our podcast, you can follow along, listen to the audio we're going to play in a second. Um, But Teen Vogue, on the one-year anniversary of Donald Trump's electoral victory, they put out this really weepy video um, talking about, you know, what they're doing to stop Donald Trump working at Teen Vogue. So Yes, the headline of the video was Teen Vogue staff speak uh, speak out on one year after the election. And um, just for those who aren't up to date with what's going on with Teen Vogue, the alternative headline for this video could be Teen Vogue staff show the world exactly why its print edition is getting (laughs) shut down. So we're going to roll this video for you. If you're listening on the podcast, you'll be able to hear it. 
since Donald Trump was elected president. And in the last year, Planned Parenthood was almost defunded. We pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord. Trump announced the travel ban. And he also moved to end DACA. Okay, pause. Hi, I'm Chloe Bai, and this is a very special... <laughs> Sorry, I Sounds said that really terrible. quick. I just, I think it's funny, like, oh, Donald Trump, we almost defunded Planned Parenthood. Oh, we're talking about rolling back DACA, like, freaking out about all of these things. And when you kind of zoom out, it's like, all right, the things that they're upset about, okay, Planned Parenthood already getting defunded, like... That person is probably upset because they think it's going to limit one's access to getting an abortion, right? When it's already federal law stipulates that tax dollars cannot fund abortions. So it's like, okay, doing these things, zoom out, is it really going to affect you or really do all of that much to warrant this over the top? There's plenty of other places you can get your birth control and you can get STD, STI testing. It's a complete misperception that Planned Parenthood is the only place or the best place that women should be going for their health care services. That's a real debate that we're supposed to be having, but the editors over at Teen Vogue think only one side of the conversation uh, is worth having that conversation with. Yeah, and here in D.C., there's a really nice free clinic called, it's like the Elizabeth Taylor clinic i think it's called and it's like over uh in near where i live kind of in the shaw neighborhood and it's really nice and it's really clean and they offer a lot of services that are all free and you can go there and (laughs) get what you need but this this video gets worse uh producer lauren let's keep going edition of the team vogue take Today we're gonna talk about how we are still here, we are still activated, and we are still ready to make change. I started working for Teen Vogue because I wanted to make media that, well, mattered to people like me. I wanted to work at Teen Vogue because I'm a journalist and I recognize that this is a platform that I can write about things that really matter to me and that can make change. I came to Teen Vogue- Pause, 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 pause. She's a journalist and she's only going to write about issues that matter to her. I think there's something fundamentally wrong with that statement. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, I write about issues that matter to me over at The Federalist, and they let me you know, do that. But I do think her saying that just makes it obvious. It just cements the perception that we already know about Teen Vogue, which is they're coming at it from a very, they're coming at politics, they're coming at everything from a very specific angle. And, you know, they're not trying to hide it anymore. Okay, we'll bite, try to bite our tongue and make it to the end of this video because there's <laughs> so much commentary we could provide throughout. Uh, so let's keep rolling. Oh, because at a time when other publishers were shying away from political journalism, Teen Vogue was going full force. I started working at Teen Vogue to give young people a place to feel safe. Because it gives young people the perfect platform to be unapologetically themselves. Since the 2017 election, I have endlessly been calling my representatives and congressmen to make a difference. This year, I participated in the Women's March, which was so incredible because I had never seen so many people get together for one cause. I've amplified the voices of young Syrian refugees and the LGBTQ youth of New York City. I've donated money to the ACLU, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and Planned Parenthood, and other organizations to fight for efforts I really believe in. In 2017, Teen Vogue has published more inclusive stories by more diverse writers than ever, and it's a trend that we're going to continue to do because things didn't end after the election, and the fight is still worth fighting. We all joined Teen Vogue because we saw what was going on in the world, and we wanted to change it. What will you change this next year? Let us know in the comments. Don't forget to go vote because it is election day today. I'll see you in the next one. Bye. 
man, there's so much there. Okay, first of all, what publication was shying away from political commentary? I feel like nothing doesn't have political commentary in you it anyway. You can't watch it. football. Like you can't <laughs> watch any of the Tonight shows without can't tons of political commentary. You without can't, political commentary. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, which maybe, publications maybe were shying away? Safe. Is food still safe? I don't know. That I think food the, is politicized. That now. might be the only safe space, although it's also political in like the type of food you eat these days. But that's that's for another episode. <laughs> we'll have to remember that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on there, but on the diversity front, uh, it seems that Teen Vogue cares about diversity, except when it comes to having voices in their publication that differ from their own, that being far left Looney Tune liberals. Yeah, and this is a struggle that, you know, a lot of uh, brick and mortar print publications have been facing. I mean, the New York Times prides itself on being very diverse in terms of, uh, you know, a large swath of uh, different races. A lot of women work for the publication, which is great. We should all have people with a lot of different perspectives coming together and writing about things that are important. But they traditionally, and even uh, its editor in chief in an interview last year said, "Oh yeah, we have like zero people on staff that are Christian or that understand Christianity, and that's a problem, right? And that's kind of what we're seeing also with this Teen Vogue. That yeah, it's very diverse on the surface level, right? There's a lot of people that are women of color, and that's wonderful. But it doesn't appear that any of these people have different ideas than the liberal dogma that they're pumping out." It's the same problem that we have on college campuses nationwide. So Teen Vogue, take note if you're listening. Bree and I would be happy to contribute some <laughs> other types of diversity into your, uh, I guess, online version since you no longer have a print edition. And and maybe maybe that's why you have to you have to shut down the print edition. Um, I also think, in all fairness, I think publishing is going through such a weird time. I mean, Condé Nast lost a slew of a bunch of really talented people that have worked for that conglomerate for a long time. And it's not just Teen Vogue that seems to be going through this weird uh, kind of time. There's a lot of other magazines that have lost, you know, very prominent editors and chiefs also. So I'm kind of wondering what's, I'm sure that this contributed to its demise, but like, I think if you zoom out, I think there's other factors going on too. Well, and I feel people, bad for them. A lot of people don't know. I actually, early on in my career, had a brief stint in the fashion and beauty industry. Oh, really? I, I wrote um, for Fox News Lifestyle section and for an online lifestyle magazine. The story's for another day, but long story short is that it's it's incredibly superficial. I went to New York Fashion Week twice, unfortunately, and um, you know it's 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 really um, skin deep. Uh, I, I didn't see much authenticity uh, there, and um, you know I think that is translated into what what comes out of those types of places. So maybe they do need to look deeper within themselves and try to find different ways to connect with their audiences um, that go deeper than than just, um, you know, this this lotion is going to make you look 20 years younger because the truth is it's not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now it's time to play real or fake news. This is my favorite part of the show. So every week. We read a couple of headlines and each we take turns guessing um, if they're a real headline or if they're a fake headline. So this week, it's my turn to read you some headlines and you're going to guess, Kelsey. And if you get it right, I'll ding this bell, which is over <laughs> here in case you can't see. Sorry, my head bonked the microphone because I am a klutz. Uh, all right. So let's get to it. Article number one. <sighs> Campus professor says Beauty and the Beast portrays 
toxic masculine capitalism. Real or fake? I'm going to say real. Nice. I have to say, I watched the new version of Beauty and the Beast recently. Okay, what did you think about it? Because I hated it. Really? So I liked it, but I thought the whole plot line was actually hilarious. I'm like, why do we have this beautiful girl going after the Beast? Why isn't the... And and why does the beautiful girl have to learn how to change her standards versus the other way around? Because (laughs) the girl, although she was beautiful, she had a good... She she has a good heart. That's that's part of the whole storyline. She's not superficial. And then you have the Beast, who actually is superficial who has to somehow, poor him, learn how to fall in love with the beautiful girl. So actually watching Beauty and the Beast as an adult, it's available on Netflix now. I have a a whole new um, opinion on the storyline. I actually should probably write about it. Yeah, you should write about why it's trash. All right. Um, Article number two, sex robot creator is ready to make a baby with his machine. Oh, my goodness. Real or fake? Please tell me this is fake. Eh. It's real. Oh, my Yeah, gosh. the story's over at New York Post. You can read about how this man is going to do this deed with a machine all over there. Is the machine a woman? <laughs> I mean, Identifies I think you have to have a, a uterus woman? to be a woman, right? So, I mean, by definition, like, a robot can't be a woman. This scares me. Okay, article number three. Why are conservatives more susceptible to believing lies? That's real. Yeah. Because that's exactly what everybody thinks of us. Yeah, that we're like susceptible feeblings. We're just not very smart, I guess. Okay, article number four. Is the national anthem racist? California NAACP wants it gone. This is real. Okay. Because of course it is. Yeah, it is real. It is a totally real thing. Okay. UCLA prof offers a course on why lip gloss is problematic. Uh, I'm going to say fake. You're right. I just made it up in my head <laughs> just now. I actually had a feeling that that was fake because I know you love your lip gloss so much. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, it is true. When I'm not getting it all over this microphone that's in front of my face, I do love <laughs> testing out the different lip glosses yeah okay so i think now it's the part of the show where we are going to actually take y'all's questions and we have a couple of questions here so william asks tax dollars can't fund abortions but they do fund the planned parenthood administrators how much does an abortion cost then do the mothers and fathers pay for their abortions all right, this is a great question. Really good question. It's one I addressed in the article I wrote on the Federalist on the Kardashians, and that's the whole argument that conservatives have is that money is fungible. So although the money isn't directly, if you donate to, or if the government is paying Planned Parenthood, although the dollars aren't literally going to the abortion, of course it's going to um, to all these employees at Planned Parenthood. It's keeping the lights on in the building exactly. where abortions are happening, exactly. and that's what conservatives are having a problem with. Like, I don't want to pay... I I don't want my tax dollars to keep the lights on at your building where you're aborting children. Like, I just I have a problem with that. And I think that that's fine. Um, But but also this hits on the way that Planned Parenthood likes to pretend that they everything that they offer is free for its individuals when that's totally not true. If you go seeking an abortion or even seeking a different kind of service and you're like, oh, I want a pregnancy test. I want this. I want that. 
they are going to make you cough up, even if you are poor, they're going to make you cough up a quote unquote donation to pay for some of that. So, you know, women, obviously a woman contemplating an abortion, this isn't just a willy nilly like, oh, I'll just get an abortion. Right. This is these are women who are in dire financial situations most of the time. I think something like 70 percent of women who get an abortion do so because of financial hardship and financial you know, constraints. Um that she thinks makes it impossible for her to care for her child. Yet a woman who is in that very tough and difficult financial position, Planned Parenthood still makes her offer a donation to cover the cost of the abortion and the aftercare. Well, often it's not just asking for a donation. Uh, there is it's a like a certain you percentage are required to pay. Yeah, it's and like it can be a couple hundred dollars. I think around somewhere eight six to eight hundred dollars is pretty normal. It depends, obviously, how invasive the abortion procedures are. Whether right, it's just if you're taking, taking a pill the and pill. then getting it sucked out, mm-hmm. or if they're doing something more invasive. <laughs> to put it bluntly. Well, thank you for the question, William. Uh, we have one more quick one from Stephen. Uh, why is it called Planned Parenthood? The facility does not resemble a teaching of Planned Parenthood. I'm not sure Bree and I are equipped to answer that because I we might agree answer. with you, but I, I will. You, you know the answer? Yeah. So, well, Margaret Singer named it Planned Parenthood because so she herself grew up in a family of really poor Irish immigrants and she was like the oldest of like nine kids or something ridiculous. And her dad was always off getting drunk, not providing enough family for them. She had to take care of all of her siblings and she really resented that and was like listen poor Irish immigrants and black people and people that uh, are disabled or facing different disabilities or hardships they shouldn't reproduce so we should weed them out and we should have this organization we'll call it Planned Parenthood um, to plan the parenthood of other people's lives and kind of and 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 if you look at the, the maps, lives that she wants right and if you look at where Planned Parenthood facilities are located they're located overwhelmingly in over you know majority black communities and the like and they do that on purpose because it has roots deep 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 roots in eugenicism and that's why it's called Planned Parenthood so one thing I think is really interesting to bring up on that front is we're having a national debate over all these statues and monuments that are supposedly offensive to a large portion of the population um, because of their roots in in slavery uh, their connections or ties to slavery Um, yeah why is Planned Parenthood fine when it has these really deep roots with race I mean Margaret Sanger spoke to the KKK and delivered paid speeches several times and they loved her so much because she literally was like yeah let's try to kill as many black babies as we can that was her goal it's interesting Planned Parenthood's not just thriving in the at the same time when we're having this uh, or it's not just surviving they're thriving Um, as I mentioned in last week's episode people are standing on their feet at the women's convention cheering on abortion and Planned Parenthood they're excited about it when I think if we're gonna fairly have this conversation about these ties to really Really, um, you know, uh, terrible things that have happened in our nation's past. Well, then let's also talk about Planned Parenthood. But of course, that that won't happen. We'll try to make it happen, but it won't. Um, moving on, though, thank you all for the comments, and we um, we love we love answering your questions when we're able to. Bree, thanks for all your knowledge on that one. Um, so <laughs> I just don't like Margaret Sanger. You know, eugenicists. Like, I'm not, 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 I'm not a fan of them. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, now we're excited to crown our problematic women of the week. This is something we do every week. Uh, it's usually a conservative or a right-leaning lady who is um, posing as a big problem to the feminist left. So, Brie, who is it? So this week we have Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was mocked in an SNL skit. Um, she was mocked about her appearance. She was mocked about her accent, about her persona. Um, about her confidence? Yeah, about her confidence. Yeah. <laughs> so it was uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders at the podium, and she was like give, answering questions from the press, and then it would snap to her like singing along to Demi Lovato's song, What's wrong with being confident? Yeah. And then you have a singing voice. I do not. (laughs) But during this part, when she is singing along to the song, she's like doing these really gross, like sexually suggestive things on the Resolute desk uh, and in other areas of the White House, which are just really gross and trashy. Um, So I was a little bit like... When it the when the skit first started and they cut to her first doing that, I thought it was funny. And then when it kind of took gross sexual turns, was like, all right, it's too far. Like it could have been funny, and they just had to take it another step too far. I think it shows sort of the pickle that SNL has found itself in, where they're starting to realize how cr- hypocritical they are when they make fun of the way that conservative women dress and act. Um, they're they're realizing that, you know, we're going to call them out for it. And so I think they tried really hard to toe a line to not being overly offensive and being hypocritical of their own morals and values that they claim to stand for. And so instead we got this like not that funny, pretty awkward to watch skit about Sarah Huckabee Sanders. It was it was pretty whatever, I would say. But I want to point out the SNL skit wasn't the only reason Sarah Huckabee Sanders was problematic this she week. She ruffled a lot of feathers. <laughs> so she did. She was also problematic um, for an LA Times columnist who ended up regretting making fun of her and the women at Fox News. This columnist wasn't just any old columnist, though. It was David Horsey, a Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist and cartoonist. So what he said in a column for the LA Times, this is the full quote which he has since redacted and attempted to apologize for. Uh Uh-oh. So, quote, much like Roger Ailes, when he was uh, stoking the Fox, uh, uh, sorry, when he was stalking the Fox News lineup with blonde Barbie dolls in short, tight skirts, the president has generally exhibited a preference for sleek beauties with long legs and stiletto heels to represent his interests and act as his arm candy. Trump's daughter, Ivanka, and wife, Melania, uh, are the... I don't even know what that word is. This is also what's wrong with the LA Times. They're so snotty using words like like apotheosis. Of this type. Oh, man. Uh, By comparison, Sanders looks more like a slightly chunky soccer mom who organizes snacks for the kids' games. Wow. So, yeah, he not just went over, uh, went after Sarah Huckabee Sanders, calling her a slightly chunky soccer mom. He went after the women of Fox News who are very accomplished. And I have to now play this clip from Megyn Kelly, who is now at NBC um, with her... Brand new show. She took him on. She had an interview with him where, once again, he attempted to apologize. But um, you just got to watch this. Kind of a cliche way of thinking. I want to ask you, because it wasn't just Sarah Huckabee Sanders who 
found themselves found herself on the wrong end of your pen. It was also Fox News anchors. And, you know, I was at Fox News for 13 years, and I think I'm uniquely qualified to speak to the women there and what they're like. And you refer to them as blonde Barbie dolls in short, tight skirts. And mm -hmm. I have to tell you, I, I asked myself when I saw that, who does he mean? Does he mean Jamie Colby, who graduated high school at age 16 and practiced law for 10 years before becoming a journalist and winning a Murrow Award? Does he mean Leah Gabriel, who fought as a Navy fighter pilot for our country in Afghanistan before becoming a Fox News personality. Melissa Francis, who graduated with an economics degree from Harvard. Catherine Herridge, who has a Stanford and Harvard degree and gave part of her liver to her sick infant child. To me, these are not blonde Barbie dolls in short, tight skirts. And I think I speak for a lot of them when I say that part was equally offensive. Oh, all right. Well, this is why this is the problem of, <laughs> well, okay, this is how um, I basically feel about it. That's uh, you? I, it's, uh, I, yeah, oh, yeah, I was just sitting here drawing and uh, <clears throat> decided, you know, this is totally a self-inflicted wound. Uh, you know, I was trying to. But, Make let me, an analogy. but what I'm trying to get is, do, you, do yeah. you get it now? Do you get how those kinds of words oh, are diminishing? Well, yeah. And beneath you, right. and I know you've had backlash even from your own family. So to the, to the others out there who think there's nothing wrong with what you yeah. said, what is your message? Okay. Well, my message is, when you goof up like this, um, you got to face up to it. I mean, I've had people say, um, you know, it wasn't that big a deal. Why are you apologizing? So, Brie, that was painful. A Megyn Kelly smackdown. Yeah, she did. She was not going to let him off the hook. She, she did was not like, hold back. Do not call me a blonde bimbo. I know more than you, so shut up. It was nice to see her standing up for herself and kind of, this is the Megyn Kelly that we all miss. She's had a rocky start to her new show, but this is the strong, independent woman who rocked it over at Fox News and shows she's she still got it in her. Yeah. Yeah, she does. I'm glad she stuck up for herself, for her former and for her, colleagues. Exactly. And for Sarah Huckabee Sanders. So yeah, because, I hope she keeps that up. Yeah, exactly. And it's ridiculous just to attack someone for what they look like, right? And in that little clip, she was able to bring so much more context to the table and say, you really don't know what you are talking about at all, sir. I'll hand it even to Think Progress, which is a very, very liberal website, which even called out this columnist on his report on attacking Sarah Huckabee Sanders um, for her looks, although I did not see them stick up for the women of Fox News. I'm not sure we ever will, but I think that just goes to show how far, um, how far he took his comments. But I think that just about wraps our show for today. So thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for leaving some comments. We're watching them as as we're live here, which is a little fun. I think most people like us. There might be a few out there who <laughs> think we're problematic for the wrong reasons. It's okay. <laughs> we'll take it. But if you'd like to follow my work, you can follow me on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. And you can follow me on Twitter at Brie underscore Payton and read all of my work and the work of my fabulous colleagues over at thefederalist.com. We'll be back with more next week.